I definitely have had my dabble in HOAs. So homeowners associations and like cul-de-sacs or urban communities, you know, I've been on an HOA board before. So there's tons of drama and it's just, if you live in like a suburban community and have an HOA, you know that there's so much drama with, with these homeowners and just neighbors and, and the rules and restrictions and regulations that uh, it can easily get ugly. And, and there's such, I can't believe there's no like, like television show or movie out there about just the drama behind HOA. So. Want to listen to this ivory tower boiler room or true crime and academia episode ad free head on over to our Patreon where I'm giving you all seven days of a free trial. So P A T R E O N.com backslash ivory tower boiler room. And if you join the ITBR professor level, which you'll see gets you access to all of our rewatch podcast series like Queer as Folk and Smash and all of our Teaches series, including when we rewatched Scream with you all, when we discussed The Exorcist, we're about to do a Britney Spears memoir episode. So, oh, and The Fall of the House of Usher is coming up. You also get access to both book clubs. And while you're at it, while you're joining our Patreon, where you're getting your seven days for free, I would really love if you make sure you like and follow us on Apple or Spotify, and please leave a review. It really does help us in terms of advertisers and sponsors. Thank you all for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Network. And it is just wonderful to be part of this arts and culture organization and have you all out there reach out to me. So again, remember, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. And we have a Facebook and we're on X as well. Enjoy this episode, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. So when I'm not here in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room as the host and director of our arts and culture podcast, I am consulting because the Ivory Tower Boiler Room is not just a podcast, it's a small business. And I am officially an entrepreneur. 
So I've had many consulting clients and I want to let you all know my services. So I've worked on college admission essay editing. I've worked on a graduate student's thesis. I'm currently helping advise a PhD student's dissertation. I'm working with a small business on revamping and rebranding their social media strategy and just working on new media ideas to expand their audience. So if any of that seems like a fit for you, reach out to me via email. It's ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com. I'm currently revamping our website. So soon I will have a consulting section on the website. So don't worry, I'll have a new add to talk about the new exciting website updates, which will include testimonials. It'll include the different services, but for $30, you get a one hour private Zoom with me to talk through how I can help consult you. And then we'll figure it out from there. So ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com, easiest way to reach me. Also, remember we have two book clubs meeting on November 19th. So I'm hosting the Parachute Women Book Club. Parachute Women is about the women behind the Rolling Stones' success by Elizabeth Winder. And Mary is hosting the True Crime and Academia Book Club, which is all about haunted asylums, prisons, and sanatoriums inside abandoned institutions for the crazy criminal and quarantined. So to join the book clubs, head to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room, and make sure you choose the specific book club you want to join. I'll see that you've joined and then I'll make sure that I reach out to you. So you get the zoom link and you'll be there on November 19th. And I can let all of you know, in December, our book club choice is Britney Spears's the woman in me. So spread the word, everyone. Okay. Um, also, you can join the ITBR professor level and get access to both book clubs and all of our ad-free videos and audio episodes. Okay. I think I've said everything I have to say. And now here is our exciting episode. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I am so excited to be joined with a guest who I can only describe as cherubic meets just such a, vit a vitality of energy from what I see on Instagram. It's just some of the best photos I've ever seen from the bookstagram community meets the gay Instagram community. So before I flatter him too much, um, I should introduce you all to BJ Irons, who works in the field of education as an educational leader and college professor. Many of his personal experiences as a gay man have contributed to his novels. So we'll definitely dig into that because I need to learn more about how all of these personal experiences make their way into such exciting material. And being a part of the LGBTQIA community himself, BJ hopes to continue to bring more fun fictional works to his LGBTQIA readers. And he lets us all know he's a Pisces and a water sign, which from what I know about astrology, I'm a Virgo. Um, sun, my sun rise, my rising is a Virgo. Um, Cause I actually just had my birth chart read on the podcast. So uh, I don't know how, well, welcome BJ first before I have you dig into your astrology. Yes, <laughs> thank you. 
Thanks, Andrew, or Dr. Rindy, actually. Congratulations on that also, by the way. Thank you, thank you. Well, so like a Pisces, from what I know as a water sign, the emotional depth is something I always hear about water signs in general. It's like they really can feel their surroundings or take on um, other people's emotions around them. Like, is that your experience as a Pisces? Definitely. I definitely see that completely. Yep. Uh, there's that emotional side, but then again, there's that, I guess the empathy and the perceptive side, right? I can definitely like read a room. Um, and then I'm kind of a person that feeds off energy, right? So the energy somebody else gives me is kind of the energy I'm going to put back into like a conversation or a situation, but you definitely hit the nose on the head with that one, at least for me, I think. I don't know about other places, but that's how I feel. <laughs> well, so what I just love, BJ, is first, I brought up your social media, which everyone follow BJ Irons. Um, wait, your official hand on Instagram is, what is yep. it again? It's, it's at, yep, at BJ Irons, you got it. Okay, okay. I didn't know if there was like a books at the end of it. I don't know why. Cause you know, sometimes authors, they'll like add in a little section about books, but at BJ Irons, how long has it been since you've had such an active social media profile with your work? Um, gosh, this just started, I think, at the height of COVID, honestly. Um, I didn't, BJ Irons wasn't even um, invented. And, and for those that don't know, BJ Irons is my, just my author alias. It's not my real name. Um, but yeah, it was in, back in 2020, I officially uh, got onto Instagram and then just started publicizing uh, the books I started to write. And it just took off from there. And that's what I love is even this podcast, I started during the pandemic and you know, we hear so much about the negative impact of the pandemic. But I also think, yes, there are those negative, the negative side of the pandemic and, you know, the loss of life. I'm not dismissing that. But there's also the creative communities. Like, I don't think we would be where we are in 2023 right now with all of these new networks or me even talking with you, BJ, if we didn't have that time to reflect and think and create new pathways like is that something that even in your own writing it really impacted your fictional writing was the pandemic C completely yep and um i i did not even know i could write my background's not in writing actually it's in science and, and education and um yeah during covid again i guess for everybody during covid right there are certain just passions that were kind of buried inside that no one wanted to explore but now with covid with people you know working from home being at home uh they kind of uh and being isolated they kind of had those opportunities to actually you know kind of branch out and explore uh those said passions and that's exactly what um i did with my writing and i'm sure that's what you did too with your podcast and being on media and such well what do you really find so fulfilling or the energy you get because you are so public on social media, which I appreciate because you've taught me about like my own even risque photos. And I shouldn't even say risque, but like me, I'm on my own empowering journey with my body right now. Um, you know, I might have even released Andrew's Boiler Room, which is like more photos with me and books and steamy photos that I don't want to put on Instagram. Perfect to, like, title. Thank you. Well, to tease people with an OnlyFans, but I'm trying to still figure out what I'm doing on my OnlyFans. Um, but or even see if people are going to bite. Like, are, is there even an interest with like seeing me and books on OnlyFans? Um, but 
do you feel apprehensive? Like, has this been a journey of empowerment for yourself since you are so public of facing critiques? Like, how do we tune out the white? How do we tune out that noise when you want to just show your passions? And you know that you are going to get backlash sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, again, we live, especially uh, being a gay author and, you know, writing male on male scenes and male on male books. Um, again, there's always that community that is very homophobic or just isn't in tune with uh, our culture. And so, yeah, there have been times where I've gotten some, uh, you know, nasty DMs of uh, some odd ones, to say the least, uh, just some negative reviews on books that people haven't even read they're just some just nasty you know comments like oh this author sucks and then you go on their like their their profile page and they're like a nobody who has like no followers so we get that a lot that's just that's just the nature of the game honestly uh, no matter what sort of I guess pop culture um type of career or path you have there's always especially being online and having such a presence you're always going to get um you know every negative comment but just the overwhelming outpour of just positive comments and positivity and people who have enjoyed the books um, definitely overshadows uh, those negative ones. And again, just as an author, um, definitely try to avoid those reviews at all costs. Um, at, at the beginning, I was kind of like, you know, I was new, I was excited about the reviews. But then over time, I started to realize, no, dial it back a little bit, just ignore them, because then you are going to get those negative ones that are going to, you know, tear away at your anxiety and just you start to question like certain things. And then you just got to realize not everybody's going to be your fan or your audience. And that's okay. So yeah, I tell my team, that like once I start to train interns, do not look at like once they start to post on social media, especially on TikTok, um, there's going to be a lot of likes or positives, but do not respond. And it's not your job to engage with trolling comments. Like sometimes if I find one trolling comment to be really helpful for me to promote an idea or I think it's sensational of a publicity moment i will respond to it just in jest like i did one where i was in a bathtub and they said i would never go to your practice doctor and i had to remind them and check them well i actually don't have a practice my phd is in english but thanks for taking the time to write this because <laughs> I, I love I that do, i do think sometimes just checking them they're surprised that someone is actually reading and has we have feelings and we have a personality and we're not just a robotic uh screen and without any agency and voice but yeah. i like your advice like <laughs> keeping the boundary is really important and so when did you actually write your first novel like what year uh, was that um that was mm, gosh i think the end of 2020 um it was december of 2020 i believe yep so it really was all um pandemic really spurred like you said by the pandemic but i didn't even realize i didn't realize that even your first novel really came out right during that summer were you thinking about the idea like right after right into the first wave of the pandemic it really was yep i think it was that may or june i actually started writing it and um i got it finished honestly the first book in i want to say I will say when I do write, I'm very quick and fast with writing. Well, it's the editing that takes a while. But um, yeah, I would say I finished it by the end of that summer. And then by the time it went through editing and getting um, graphics and all formatting and everything, it came to light that December. Yeah. So something we share in common is 
our obsession with Greek mythology. I mean, I'm obsessed with uh, the Narcissus myth, like it's even in my dissertation title. Um, but I'm also just obsessed with all things like male homoerotic Greek myths or, you know, even subversive women. I'm really into the villainous women who don't get to tell their stories like Medusa um, or even Antigone, I guess, could be seen as villainous. But Clytemnestra <laughs> uses an axe to kill her husband. So she's definitely villainous. Uh but like, so what is it about Greek mythology? Because I do want to, you know, let everyone know out there, you have a whole series called Myth, wait, Mythlogay. Did I say yeah, that? Myth, yeah, you got Mythologay. Mythologay. Yeah, like mythology. Okay, Mythologay. Um, so where did Greek mythology really enter into BJ's psyche? Like, where does this begin, the journey? Oh, gosh, it began actually in high school. So pre-BJ, <laughs> it actually happened. Um, when I was in high school, um, I wanted to go on a health career. And so I, I took a lot of, I was in a magnet uh, technical program where I took a lot of anatomy and physiology type courses, medical, pre-med courses in high school. And so I was also required to take four years of Latin. And so I had this Latin teacher who I will never forget. She's one of my favorite teachers growing up. Um, her name was Miss Deborah. And um, she was just so entertaining, so fun, so engaging. And on top of Latin, uh, she went beyond the curriculum. And, and just to keep us engaged, she taught us all about just Roman mythology um, and also their Greek counterparts. And so just there's so many stories I heard about just Hermes, Aphrodite, Hephaestus, Athena, Zeus, you name them. She kind of retold them, um, but in Latin, and we had to learn them like in the Latin language. Um, and it was just like so fascinating. And then, of course, um, at the end of high school was when, for me at least, that was when Real Housewives got exposed. I'm kind of thinking, oh my gosh, these Greek mythology, it's kind of like, these are like the archaic Real Housewives. Like just the drama, the, the scandal, the shade, like it was just all there. And I guess that's where I kind of paths cross and I'm like, oh yes, I love mythology. <laughs> well, I didn't know you were a Real Housewives fan. Oh, big time. Oh my gosh. I am um, obsessed, borderline obsessed. It's pretty bad. And all things Bravo, honestly. <laughs> so... You would really love then. I'm going to have more upcoming episodes with Real Housewives uh, podcasters and those in the media because it's something I like to deep dive with my academic hat and look at the behind the scenes and just what they're doing on camera in terms of performing. Um, but I always say it truly replaced the soap opera genre. And I mean, that's what Andy Cohen wanted. And he, I always say Andy Cohen is our housewife. Like he is the head. He's Zeus. Basically, we're going to use this Greek <laughs> metaphor. He really is. It's kind of like the way I picture it too. It's like picture the uh, the dais, the Greek gods, right? Zeus is at the center of the reunion and then all the other gods and goddesses around the dais, they're just bickering and arguing. It's exact, perfect analogy. <laughs> yeah. And like Zeus rarely wants to pick a side, but always steps in it with every other figure in the mythology. I mean, Zeus is either sleeping with the women, um, fighting with the men. Uh, but is there a specific text? Like, I'm assuming that then you read uh, Edith Hamilton's mythology book. Um, I don't know. For me, that was like my entryway was in high school. We got to read uh, mythology by Edith Hamilton. Then we read Mary Renault. Um, I think it was The King Must Die, but I really like Mary Renault when she retells these Greek myths from like the 1960s, I think. 
um, she has the Persian boy, which is Alexander the Great's lover um, retelling. But, you know, you're in the business of retelling myths, which is interesting, but you're retelling it not for just historical purposes, right? It's in your series. What exactly are you doing even in your first book, BJ? So, so yeah, so it's a lot of it is, um, most of it is actual, just a Greek, uh, actually, uh, myths that uh, I've seen from multiple texts um, over the years, um, a lot of online research. And so I'm actually not completely like just making, you know, completely brand new myths up. I'm just taking the myths that are already out there and kind of interweaving them together into kind of a cohesive flow uh, to make it seem like it's one just long uh, story. Um, of course, to keep it entertaining, there's some things in there that, you know, aren't necessarily completely real, but still it adds to the story and it's still keeping true to that um, original myth. Um, the only difference, though, is I do take characters that um, in Greek mythology that are, like you said, just straight. And then I do like the gender swap, gender reverse. So instead of Medusa, it's now Meduso. And then I make, obviously, there was no love story between Medusa and Perseus, but I kind of make it into one in this story. Um, so, yeah, just, just stuff like that is pretty much uh, how I go about it. So. I am here with the co-owner of one of my favorite stores here in Port Jefferson Village, New York. It is called The Soapbox. So Janine said, Andrew, I have these four products you need to get your hands on. It's called Four for Fall. So she's going to go over these four products. I know first you have a soap for me. What is the soap? Too. I have a soap for you. It is called Apple Fighter Shea Butter Soap. It's by a company called Greenwich Bay. And this is a great soap because you can use it for your hands or your body. And it has a delicious apple cider scent. And I think you're actually already familiar with it. Yes, it is Try in it. my shower. I still have it. It lasts a very long time. Yeah, great lather. The lather is wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's just so luxurious. And I love the scent into November. Yes. You know, this apple cider just it evokes so many cozy feelings. Oh. After the soap, we have something that you can add on to yes. in the shower. So what is this? This is a wonderful, wonderful um, exfoliating shower scrub. It is by a company called Primal Almonds, and it's a sugar whip shower scrub. And the scent is pumpkin spice. It's a moisturizing sugar scrub. So it's tiny little sugar granules. And it's something that you would use after you shower twice a week because you don't want to strip your skin of your natural um, oils and your your moisture, but it's wonderful. It just really exfoliates all that dead skin and leaves your skin very smooth and soft from all the, um, the sugar. So after I use the exfoliant right now, we need to moisturize. So yeah. I know you have a really nice fall body lotion for us. Absolutely. Um, this is just such a delicious scent. This is one of my favorites for fall. It is, the scent is Orchard Breeze. And it's by a company called Michelle Design Works. Um, this is another product that you can use hand or body, hand and body. Um, it's great. You can place it um, on your vanity, just a couple of pumps for your hands or use it on your entire body, but it's shea butter based. So it's extremely moisturizing. Um, it, it's just wonderful. And the scent is just lovely. We need something more deep for our face. Everyone yeah. wants face masks. And I know that you absolutely love this company and this product. This is one of my favorite masks by one of my favorite companies that we carry and we support. The company is called Farmhouse Fresh and they're right out of Texas. The mask is called Splendid Dirt and it's a nutrient rich mud mask. Um, it consists of pumpkin puree, 
And the benefits of this mask, uh, it's a pore minimizer, a radiance booster, and a skin degunker. So it's an all-around great mask. If you really want a boost of radiance, it brightens your skin and it really cleanses your pores. If they live on Long Island or near Long Island, you know, what is your address uh, for them to come into the store? We're located at 18 Chandler Square in Port Jefferson, New York, right in the village. Um, and if you can't make it, you have to come in because we just have so much fun stuff in here. So many wonderful products. Um, but if you can't make it in, please give us a call. We're more than happy to um, ship any of these wonderful, all any of these wonderful products to you. Um, uh, call us at 631-509-1424. You could always um, reach us on Instagram at the Soapbox NY, or you could always um, check us out on our website, Soapbox NY. Um, and yeah, there's so many ways to access your products ways to reach us. And Janine is more than happy. And Mariana, the other co-owner. My mom, actually. Yes. Yes, Are so willing to take your orders via phone, via Instagram. And I can't wait for everyone else to enjoy these luxurious products. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. So you can see all of this on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, Visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. And with Greek mythology, something that I guess I've always been more eager for is I always feel we've had a lack of Greek mythology movies or even film or uh, TV. Like there's, we have a few epics that have been retold in films, but I've always been disappointed. This is just my now grievance, but uh, I've always been disappointed that the gods and the goddesses, in my opinion, are never fully... um, centered on like i mean a series i really like is did you ever see um the iliad when they had redone the iliad as a tv show okay yes i did see bits and pieces of it yep yeah like i mean i love bernadette peters so i think her vanessa williams um are in this tv series it was like a short limited series uh but I think it's actually free on YouTube because I will send my students to the YouTube series or the YouTube channel. And again, though, I think it's really, for some reason though, Greek mythology can escape cinematography. Like it escapes the visual because it can instantly become very campy and corny. 
And that's why the literary is maybe more powerful. Um, like, you know, is that something you're just drawn to is writing out even Medusa, like rewriting Medusa's from a male point of view? What kind of freedom does that give you? It gives you a lot of freedom, surprisingly. Like you, like you said, there's not really a foundation or um, a already like works out there or like like you said, cinematography out there to kind of for people to kind of picture as they're reading myths and going through myths. And and so I kind of have a almost like blank canvas to work with. Right. Um, I see you have the myths out there, but uh, just the visual aspect of it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. You're right. I'm not sure why there aren't that many um, just Greek or mythological sort of um, videos out there, movies, TV shows, things like that. Um, I mean, the audience, it has an audience, right? Like a lot of people do love Greek mythology. It's just fun. It's drama. But yeah, it's, it's a great question, honestly. I've, I'm not sure like why there's such so few of it out there. So, I mean, some people might now might be uh shouting out loud now as they're hearing this that oh, there's yeah. hercules which you know i don't want to discount i think hercules is probably like from the disney the tv shows has been centered on so much and there was a musical version of it that just premiered in north jersey at paper mill playhouse and i've heard rumors it might come to broadway but again for some reason like Disney has done so many other Broadway musicals, but my favorite one really is Hercules. So I hope that's true. Uh, yeah. Again, it's that Greek myth um, interest, but maybe, you know, do you think with these myths, like why it's so interesting in your series, there are certain topics though, that aren't family friendly. Like these myths are not, it's kind yeah. of like the Brothers Grimm fairy tales. Like they really aren't sanitized. Like if you're reading the original sources, there's um, more of the soap opera elements, right? Like, so like, what are some of your, some of the most juicy or the myths that you've just been really drawn to? Um, honestly, I, I, I've written a lot of just Greek gods and goddesses um, in my work, but just Aphrodite's for some reason, her just stands out to me. And it's funny, I include her in my book. She's not, um, and, and she's not like a, you know, I'm not a gay character, but I do incorporate her into uh, my second book uh, called Arrogance, uh, which kind of is like, that's like, out of all four, that's probably the biggest soap opera of all the Greek gods. It's like how um, Aphrodite and Apollo uh, have drama with, um, with um, Adonis and Artemis, and it's just this whole melting pot of how their lives intertwine, and the complete opposites, right? Aphrodite is just, you know, love, uh, sex, scandal, um, and cocky, confident, and then Artemis is the complete opposite of her, right? She's all, she's chastity. Uh, she is, you know, just all things pure, uh, not necessarily, she doesn't condone. So when them two kind of cross paths, there's just bound to be, you know, disagreements, uh, different beliefs, different values. And then, of course, you have Apollo and and, um, and Adonis, who, again, there's actually are Greek myths out there that aren't really at the forefront. But actually, there are myths where they have, uh, you know, made love and, and had sex and things like that and hooked up. And so just that book in general, there's just so much like between all four of those characters in Greek myths. There's just a lot of drama, a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting, a lot of sex. So perfect example yeah and it's but it's all based on fantasy right like that's why i love greek myths and fairy tales they're sharing the same idyllic like it's still out of 
realism. It's not realistic. Like even the sex usually doesn't, I mean, it can end up in a baby, but usually it ends up like in another, a nymph or some creature. Like it's never, yeah, it's never like exactly a baby in a baby carriage and they like go by a suburban house. Like it's, it's not that kind of realistic version. It's always that fantasy world, which is probably why we keep returning even to the labyrinth. I mean, that's something with your book, you know, how did you even try to balance these symbolic um, places, right? Like when I think of, um, right, it's Perseus who has to, or the Minotaur, that's Perseus, right? Uh, labyrinth, the Minotaur, right? Yeah, that's the Minotaur. And um, yeah, it's not, I don't think Perseus is in that one. It's, um, I forget which one, but yeah, not Perseus. I'll look it up. Yeah. But um, that's why I have Google here. So, you know, what was, even trying to think about, like, let's start with, you even have Orpheus, you have Hermes, Hephaestus. Like with Orpheus, that's an interesting one for me. So that's book three in your series. Orpheus, it's usually seen as a tragic love story. What happens with him and Eurydice? So how are you even thinking about that love story element? Like in terms of turning it on its head and really putting in a gay take or yeah, a gay narrative. Yep. So I'll be honest, that was uh, kind of reading about it. Like sometimes for writing these books, I'm actually also learning, right? I don't know every single Greek myth out there, but with Orpheus, that's the same one I know. I heard his Eurydice and uh, she got dragged down to the underworld and he went down to rescue her. Like that was the part of the myth that I learned and, and knew growing up. But then in further exploring Orpheus, it was one of those, he's one of those ones too that, you know, was a lover of Apollo's. And so I decided to kind of the first half of that book dis uh, discuss Orpheus, you know, coming out as a in a closeted gay man in um, in Greek mythology, and then Apollo sort of taking him under his wing, and then him stepping away from that. And then the second half of the book is when he does meet um, not Eurydice, but now I change it. She is not Eurydice; he is Eurydice. And so the two of them wind up. Um, you know, just it, it, that book's actually more of a, a coming of age and just uh, Orpheus like finding himself in development as a character. Um, and then with the love being the secondary, I guess, sort of uh, topic and, uh, and and symbolism um, in that book. But yeah, again, like like I said, that, that part of it is in that book. And it's just really fun to kind of just learn new things about Greek mythology. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even realize that was a myth of Orpheus and Apollo. But I'm definitely going to incorporate that into my book because that is my uh, area that I'm writing about. So works well. Yeah. Well, and I think I might've uh, even given you book six, which is if you're continuing the series, uh, you don't have Theseus. Theseus is the one who goes journeying in the labyrinth. I looked it up, but the Minotaur, maybe Theseus in the labyrinth journey discovers something deep about being submerged into the closet and trying to find his identity. <laughs> There you go. Labyrinth could be a coming of age journey. Let me let me write that one down. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. And you could say Andrew inspired <laughs> the labyrinth metaphor now. Um, but you are free to do what you want with your series. So even just to remind us all, who is Hephaestus again? 
So Hephaestus is the uh, Greek god of uh, volcano, blacksmithing, uh, sword of fire. Um, and he's one of the ones that has very, very few myths and far between. You hear about him as like a side character in a lot of the main Greek myths. Uh, and, and a lot of people, because of that, they kind of take what if, if you talk about Hephaestus, they kind of picture him as like the boring, dull uh, Greek god. Um, yeah, he, uh, the myths that are out there, he was uh, born by Zeus with a different uh, woman besides Hera. And he was, I'm sorry, no, he was born with Hera, not Zeus. And um, so Hera, um, he was born ugly. He had like a gimp leg. And so Hera actually threw him from the cliff um, because of how ugly she was. She was embarrassed by him. And then he, you know, worked his way back up into Mount Olympus. Um, and that's really the only story out there that's kind of the only main myth about him. Um, there's so many other side ones where, you know, he was married to Aphrodite. Um, he took part in make, building a lot of weapons for different gods and Greek heroes. But that's really all there was out there. So that was actually a tricky one. to, And that took a lot of creative uh, writing. That's I would say out of all five of my Greek mythology books, that's the one where I actually had to create some brand new myths and stories to kind of bring to the table. Well, and for your mythology books, um, I'm sure that the ones actually that more creative Hephaestus project, I would think like I just feel this as a writer Sometimes when a figure or a story is more iconic, you actually have to really work up a cliff because you're working with so many expectations from the public about how the story is going to be told. It's even when I interviewed Gregory Maguire, like I would ask, I ask him this all the time, but just how he came out with Wicked, that's a really tough um journey of trying to find the voice of the witch because like the public had such a view of what the witch even looks like in society or on on Halloween in the movie of the Wizard of Oz like it's just in everyone's mind so you know even though like you said it did take more creative writing did you find that it was a fun and freeing journey that was different than say the Medusa just because of how much Medusa's in our like in our uh, zeitgeist in the culture of knowing who that is completely I, yeah and that you're exactly right um so because there was so, so few myths out there on Hephaestus he was very a one-dimensional character so to actually give this guy like a personality you want to to kind of write from that perspective and that book takes a lot of like um there's a big psychological approach I took into that book talking about his feelings how he felt by being disowned by Hera his hatred towards her the the aspect of him wanting to get revenge on her, whereas also there's that nurturing side to him that he's kind of, that there's that dichotomy he's kind of a toying with and trying to balance. So yeah, that was actually a great one uh, to write. And then um, in that book too, I, I feel like Hephaestus doesn't have many characters around him. So uh, one thing I kind of completely took out of um, Greek myths was there was Hestia. She was goddess of the hearth and fire. So I actually made Hestia into Hestio and actually kind of wrote between them two and actually gave them a love story because they both are gods slash goddess of fire. Um, and so I kind of wrote specifically how actually Hestio was the one that gave Hephaestus the ability to use fire and to, you know, create it. And so, um, yeah, you have three more in my book, I guess, too. Yeah, no, uh, everyone's going to have story to, there. They need to, you know, uh, link in the episode notes for all of BJ Irons' books, which... We're just beginning here. Uh, so 
What I wanted to ask, though, even before we go to what you say on your website is the standalone novels, which I just like how organized all the books are, um, because it just helps as a reader of seeing like which topic you want to dive into first with all your fiction is, again, like I know that you have an author pen name, so, you know, you don't have to dig deep or open up too much about this, but I do think for everyone out there who is a writer or someone who wants to be a writer out there who has a professional career where they're like unsure whether it would match their work identity or they're nervous about taking a chance because it'll they're going to be talking about topics where they're worried that the workplace is going to find out like how did you think about that because it's something i hear a lot even with those who have social media that they say to me, they're so surprised how public I am. But I said, well, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm allowed to be like, I am my brand. You know, like what I decide to put on there is my decision. I'm not dictated by the workplace, which is a benefit as a scholar. But, you know, a lot of workplaces, they have policies or they don't want you to be, you can't be public on social media. So how do you, how does that all work into this equation? Oh, it, it was been a major struggle. It was probably the biggest fear I had actually uh, in, in doing this and launching uh, BJ Irons and the sort of side passion that I have with writing. Um, like, like you mentioned, I worked in education now for 10 plus years. Um, and I've when I started writing some of these steamy books, um, that was my biggest fear actually was just like what my, if it did became majorly public, like what my workplace would say about it. It definitely is something that would be frowned upon um, in the workplace. But um, but then I kind of realized, I think it was Stacey Abrams, I actually heard an interview recently where Stacey Abrams, for those that don't know, um, she actually is an author too. She writes romance novels on the side under a different alias. And so I guess seeing her kind of really helped uh, inspire me to sort of want to be like, you know what, here's this woman who's in the public eye. She has a career in politics and she's doing it just fine. Um, and she's keeping it at least slightly, you know, um, hidden, right? She keeps completely separate from her work life. And that's just um, something I've struggled with as B this BJ Irons journey continues for me. Um, and it's still something that I do like keep hidden because I am still sort of scared that if, if others like, especially in the field of education were to learn um, about this, how the impact it would have on my professional career. But um, for the most part now, I think I've gotten comfortable with it. If it does leak and it does get out there, um, I'm okay with it, honestly. There's nothing like too bad or too crazy that it's all, everything about it is, you know, good natured. There are a couple of sex scenes, but I write it from a positive lens. The positivity from these books uh, for the gay culture outweighs the, you know, the steaminess and some of those raw elements that are in some of my books. Yeah, well, and there is such a thing as, well, at the college level, there's academic freedom. I'm not sure how, I think when you're in K through 12, um, there's academic freedom, but you also have to be beholden to certain administrative policies that, you know, the content, well, even the curriculum that you teach or the content um, is totally different. And I do think though, right now, it's so important that you've said all that, BJ, because you really are showing a pathway of following your passion and just really um, taking a chance and not 
holding yourself back because you're afraid of what the workplace could say about you. Because I mean, technically you should be protected if you're doing something like under your own name, like in your, it's not something you're doing in the workplace. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of people who would love to go into writing or do more of these creative endeavors, but I just keep hearing from people reaching out to me saying they're so nervous because they don't know how their employer is going to view what they're doing. And, you know, I think that, like you said, Stacey Abrams was a model for you. I think the more that we have models and figures, the better um, the culture can change and reflect that you can do your own passionate endeavor and it's not going to conflict or even there's always going to be the negative Nancy's or people in the workplace. That's I just... call them the one percenters is what I call them. The one percenters. The one percenters. Yeah. But they're also probably the ones who are always trying to stir up drama anyway. So it doesn't matter what someone does. Um, but after all that, like, thank you for exploring just how you mesh or not even mesh, but how you have a workplace dynamic working with your creative dynamic and your creative face, like both can happen. And you're an example of that. So I have to ask you about this one book you have, especially because I'm such a fire Island person and lover, you have something <laughs> called the fire Island ice queen. You have a novel called the fire Island ice queen. So can you tell us a little about what to expect or how that idea came to you about fire Island, I'm seeing hints of the ice palace, like with the ice cream, <sighs> what's going on? <laughs> so yeah, it's funny. Surprisingly, one would think that the one gay novel I have about Fire Island would be steamy. It's probably one of the least steamiest books I have, ironically. But um, no, so it's about um, this college uh, this college boy. He is um, very, um, let's just say he has the ice queen personality, right? He's very all about his uh, education. He's very... Um, almost, um, he kind of is very judgy of people in the gay community as, uh, for his age. So he's still exploring himself and trying to figure out his journey and his path. And so um, in college, he lives in DC or Bethesda, I, put, I think I put in the book. Um, he has a boyfriend in college and he finds that his boyfriend's cheating on him. And just like we've all been through, I'm sure as a gay man growing up. Um, so he, uh, a friend of his named Byron, actually, who is a wild partier, uh, wants to bring um, him to Fire Island just, you know, to come out of a shell a little more to kind of show him, hey, life's not all, you know, like about just being gay and, and having a stick up your ass kind of lifestyle. So he goes into Fire Island and, um, you know, he just is opening him up. He meets this guy on the beach, a complete stranger. Uh, who can already read him like that. He knows his type. He's like, you need to come out of your shell more. Like, this is Fire Island. Where, what is a better place where you can't, you know, explore your sexuality and, you know, and live life a little more than what you're already doing? And so... Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm so excited to shout out the Gay and Lesbian Review, who is helping to sponsor the ITBR podcast. For all of you out there, the Gay and Lesbian Review is a bi-monthly magazine where you can discover new things about gay and lesbian literature, history, and culture. And 
The GL Review publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and their popular art memo column. Each issue of the magazine brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme. For example, their September-October issue centers on the theme, Cracking the Closet. So, starting in the 19th century, a number of artists and writers found ways to crack the closet by expressing their sexuality between the lines or in the interstices of their work. For example, Ignacio Darnad, who is a friend of the ITBR podcast, he's been on our show, writes all about illustrator J.C. Leyendecker, whose work for Ivory Soap and Arrow Collars gave him plenty of opportunities to draw pictures of well-dressed and at times scantily dressed American men. And you also can find an article by Vernon Rosario, who has been on the podcast, and he talks about the quest for sex in the Middle Ages. So to subscribe, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Click subscribe. So on their website, go all the way over to the right-hand side, and you'll see the button subscribe. Click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR50 because you're getting 50% off your subscription to the print or digital edition of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine. I can't wait for you all to have your copy of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine and make sure that you take a picture when your magazine arrives or when you're reading it online and tag the GL Review on Instagram and ITBR and we'll share it out in our stories. Enjoy your reading, everyone. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I am so excited to be talking about Broadview Press. You might be asking, what is Broadview Press, Andrew? Broadview is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish in the humanities mainly English studies, writing, philosophy, and history, just to name a few genres. And recently, I had on Dr. Jason Holt, who wrote all about the philosophy of sport. And what better summer episode than to talk about what happens when a philosopher dissects the beautiful aesthetics of sporting culture? In the spring, I had on doctors Kyle Stedman and Tanya Rodriguez to talk about what is sound writing, how to make audio projects in the college classroom, how to even have your students create podcasts. And then in the winter, I had on Dr. Dr. Jeffrey Weinstock. He talked about analyzing pop culture. Yes, I even sneak in some Real Housewives questions. And how to teach composition and make it fun. He uses this whole metaphor about being a mad scientist in this gothic lab. And in the fall, I had on Dr. Ann Stevens, and she talked about literary theory and criticism. And yes, the university season is upon us. So what better way to talk about the college classroom than to actually understand what is literary theory? That's a wonderful episode for all of you out there who teach literary studies. I love Broadview Press. Make sure you use their exclusive code. It's Ivory Tower on broadviewpress.com. You get 20% off all, all Broadview Press publications. Okay, until the next Broadview Press interview. And now back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. 
um, this guy on the beach um, gives him a task. He's like, for your for the next five days you're here at Fire Island, I want you to complete these kind of fun, crazy, out of the box, uh, bucket list things to do. And so they call it the Fire Island Ice Queen uh, Challenge. And so that's pretty much that book is this character coming out of a shell, completing these bucket lists of things he normally wouldn't do. And you start to see that character development of, of him to you kind of comes out of the shell a lot more. And, and that's pretty much the premise of the book. Yeah. Well, when you're saying we all know what it's like when someone cheats on you, I'm just thinking in the back of my mind, I think I've broken up with my boy, my ex-boyfriends before that could have happened. So my, my problem is I haven't, uh, allowed for the conflicts to occur maybe i should stick it out longer um but that's my own journey now is going back into the dating scene and maybe allowing myself to feel the pain of intimacy and its obstacles because i've tried to block off any kind of intimacy struggles like you know i don't want that I like my friends with benefits, BJ, but I also do think there's something to intimate relationships that maybe opening yourself up and letting your heart feel and not uh, close it off is actually, it's a sign of growth, you know, but it is, it can be very painful, right? I mean, I don't think any relationship, what I've just seen from my friends or learning is once you're in a long-term relationship, there's going to be obstacles. Like you're going to have conflicts. You just have to know that you can work through them. Uh, So, you know, and I love what you do though with Fire Island um, Ice Queen. And I think that, you know, you yourself always like talking about Rehoboth Beach or Fire Island. Like, have you been to what we would call all the major Northeast resorts of LGBTQ culture? Not all of them, no. Sadly, there's one I haven't been to, and my actually we just had a conversation about this um, this past week. I'm a group of friends; they're all actually in P-town right now, and I have never been. And they are as soon as I told them, no, I haven't been. Surprised, like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? Like, you are coming down with us next year. So, yes, I would say on my bucket list next year is Provincetown, and totally. <laughs> yeah, I have never been there either, um, and I mean, I'm actually you know, not that far from Boston and that area. It's again, I think next summer I'm going to, people already invited me like to be at their house and I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I think I'm so stuck though on fire, like just being so close to fire Island that it's just one of, I just love that like ferry ride. And I like the separation from the mainland. It's like, to me, truly a nature paradise. P town seems congested from just pictures I've seen. And um, I mean, people say Fire Island gets congested, but you can always like, I feel even when you're in the heart of the scene of the like queer community or the like partying or events, you can always like walk away a little and be in the quiet. Uh, so I don't know. Um, I'll give Pete Town <laughs> a chance. Uh, <laughs> I'll try not to be too stuck on in my same mold. But every time I've like even been in Rehoboth, I just remember there's some like beautiful um, hotels and boutiques. It's a small town vibe meets kind of like an expanded Cherry Grove in a way. Like if you had just more shops, kind of that's how Rehoboth feels to me. Um, but 
Okay. Yeah. Growing up, I went to Ocean City, Maryland. I'm like having. Same uh, here. I went to Ocean City as well. I grew up in Ocean City. And then, of course, as I got older, I realized there's a town right next to it called Rehoboth Beach with a lot more of a gay scene. And now I'm in Rehoboth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's Bethany, which I know people love too. Yeah. I know. I know my. I had Delaware friends. I uh, love it. Delaware, Maryland. Um, yeah. Ocean City, Maryland, though. Talk about crowded. Uh, <laughs> I think everything, though, even the Jersey Shore, I'm a big seeing my family. We love going to Atlantic City and like the resort life there. That's gotten really popular, but it's all good. I love that everything is getting more popular in the shore towns. Uh, so now I have to talk about what you call your gay mafia uh, <laughs> series. I mean, it has an official name, but basically they're all about these gay mafia storylines. The Bosses of Bane. The Bosses of Bane series. Uh, any uh, allusion to Batman and Bane? No, none whatsoever, unfortunately. <laughs> That's where I, my mind goes when I hear the word Bane. Um, right, wasn't it Bane Enterprises? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I believe I'm not a I'm not the biggest comic person, but I'm, I'm I can't recall. Okay. okay, well, I just loved Batman and the Alpha. It might have been it might have been Wayne. Now I'm thinking about it. Bruce Wayne Enterprises, maybe Bruce Wayne. I can't. I don't it, know. Okay, well, <laughs> any like huge Batman heads out there? Um, we apologize. <laughs> yeah, you can uh, let us know, but I think that there's maybe there's a character named Bane. It's like the villain. Yeah, Wayne Enterprises. Thank you. I'm like combining. Sometimes I'll combine certain names together. But I do think that there was some villain named Bane. Maybe it's not even in Batman. Who knows, BJ? So <laughs> what I love, though, is like even using Batman as an example is I was always drawn towards Robin and like that bromance that was going on, even though I always think Robin cared more for Batman than Batman cared for him. Uh, even that Robin would wear that revealing outfit uh, for yeah. Batman. I feel like we got like a gay, like unrequited love story. We can kind of go with that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think someone should do that as a movie. Could be a really interesting... Um, well, they did it for SNL. They would always parody Batman and Robin. And they're in like this very... Um, this penis-shaped car. and Oh, yeah. The abominably gay duo or something like that, if I recall from the old SNL skits. Is that what it's called? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, something gay duo. Um, so when you were though, thinking about the gay mafia, first, you'll hear that stereotype all the time. Like, oh, they're part of the gay mafia. Or like, <laughs> these are the ones who are um, making the decisions for the gay community. Like you have to befriend these people because they really make, they're doing all the different chess pieces and they make things happen. So why did you know, okay, I have to kind of play around with this gay mafia stereotype? Well, it's, it's funny. It's actually, um, I would say it's not more of uh, that sort of play in, in a sense, like these are just uh, rich, powerful CEO men that are closeted. And then um, they sort this is more of an exploration of them too. They start to come out a little more of just rich, spoiled, just these badasses who have terrible personalities at first. They're all like very villainous. Um, and then they all, you know, just like any, a lot of time, I have, let's say mafia series. I read a lot of heterosexual books about it. You know, it's usually like this powerful CEO who, you know, meets like this young intern sort of, and um, I mean, 
that's 50 shades right there i'm pretty sure i just described but there's a lot of books out there that, that are just like that and of course there's not many you know gay ones um well there are some out there i can't say that but that's just i love those kind of stories i think they're fun they're entertaining so why not flip the script again with it and that's pretty much how this uh series came about was with that kind of idea these rich powerful ceos dating these uh you know other um guys that are more you know complete opposites of them the angelic you know sweet um damsel in distress kind of um gay guys out there well and i think it's just refreshing that you're writing these narratives because i feel that for a lot of the history of even just gay literature it's usually been um more about the coming out story, like not just the coming out story, but more about a distressing adolescent who doesn't have power and like comes from a small town and is trying to like make his way up. But like to already start with these men in power, um, I mean, in a way it's kind of, it's exciting because right now I think we all are talking in the queer community, we're talking a lot about red, white and royal blue. Because like this movie, well, this book, of course, but that the movie based on the book has really brought attention to gay narratives of those who have power or come from powerful families. And we don't see that a lot represented. We see more usually the Brokeback Mountain kind of stereotype, like where they are closeted, but they're also not able to live their full lives because of necessity. Like they need to make money and they're just so worried about how they're going to have a career if they did come out. Imagine that you're riding the Turner classic movie, Great Movie Ride in Hollywood studios. It's in the 1990s as you're journeying through the great movie ride, you pass the Wizard of Oz, where all of a sudden you see the Wicked Witch of the West ascend into Munchkinland in a cloud of smoke and flames. Well, that's the memory I have with the great movie ride in classic cinema when I was at Disney in the 1990s as a young boy. And ever since that, I was hooked on classic cinema. Well, my friend Christian Garcia, friend of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, has a podcast that you all are going to love. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema, and he looks at queer themes in classic cinema, like Vertigo, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, Mary Poppins, 101 Dalmatians, Hello Dolly, the list can go on and on and on. So follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. You can listen to his podcast on Apple and Spotify. And he also is on the premiere episode of our Queer as Folk podcast, where I'm re-watching every episode of Queer as Folk from 2000. And the episodes come out bi-weekly. So make sure you listen to his episode with me. And he's launching a rewatch show of Smash, where they're putting on a Marilyn Monroe musical. So he's going to be joined by co-hosts, a lot who are in the Broadway and theater industry, and I'm going to be on his first episode. So without further ado, get listening to That Old Gay Classic Cinema. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Happy almost holiday season. Because the holidays are upon us, I'm sure so many of you out there are thinking, oh my, what am I going to get my friends, my family, my children, my romantic partner, my husband, my wife, any, you know, significant person in your life. 
Look no further than my good friend Mandy Bangle, who makes handmade crocheted items. Her company is called Mandy Made It. You can follow her on Instagram at M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. And you will see all of these crocheted items that she's going to be able to customize for you, including special characters, sports team figures, even holiday items like a snowflake or a Christmas tree. So I have Mandy's keychains. I have the poison apple from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I have a rainbow um, flag that she made me. So Mandy is able to really customize an order just depending on what your hobbies and passions are and, you know, what item you're really looking for. So because you're listening to me talk about Mandy. She said that anyone who goes to Mandy Made It on Instagram and orders from her and they've heard the Ivory Tower Boiler Room ad, she will give you all a free Ivory Tower Boiler Room t-shirt with your order. So head right now to Mandy Made It. You know, if you were really looking for that special gift, now you don't have to look any further because I have you covered with Mandy Made It. Okay, I hope you all enjoy your items from Mandy Made It. And please make sure that you take a photo of your crocheted items so that we can share it out on our social media. I know Mandy would love that, and I would love to see what you all are ordering from her. She even has an adorable pillow called Netflix and Chill, and she has these cute coasters that she crochets for your favorite coffee or tea mug. So enjoy all your Mandy Made It products. Yeah. So, you know, what is it? Is it fun to really play around with the Fifty Shades of Grey stereotype? I mean, I just still remember when those the books came out and all my girlfriends, they're like, you need to read this book, read it. It's like so juicy. And like, I started to read it. And I thought, wow, I don't think you've ever read gay literature because <laughs> I've seen this these kinds of scenes depicted in books like ever since the 1900s. But it did cause a sensation for the straight community. Yeah, I agree. I think I was in college. I think back, I want to say 20, 2008 was when Fifty Shades first came out. And yeah, same thing. The same with me. Like, I guess growing up in gay culture, we talk a lot more about sex and, and just things like that. Let's let's be honest, too. Think about, uh, like, the, the prime example I can think of that is how, like, just certain topics of, like, the gay community is ahead of the straight community. Like, look at Grindr, right? Grindr, we've had Grindr for years. And then out of nowhere, Tinder comes out. And we're like, and these straight people are like, oh, my gosh, have you seen Tinder? I can't believe this is existing. I'm like, we've had Grindr for, like, 20 years. Like, where have you been? <laughs> like, stuff like that's a perfect example, exactly. So, yeah, I guess Fifty Shades was kind of there, the first, I guess, publicized a uh, book out there that really was steamy and had sex scenes, I guess, was kind of, I guess that, and we've always had there that in gay culture. So that was kind of nothing new to us, but still fun to at least see something like that, you know, that the world kind of, it took the world by storm. So. Well, and I feel we've always had, even in literature, what's so exciting is just even how public your work is on social media, but just how you talk about what you write is I was somehow on TikTok. I just love the algorithm that like, it's all very queer cinema focused. So there's like movie clips popping up of movies that I had watched on Logo when I had come out in high school. So do you remember that movie Latter Days? I don't, I can't recall that one okay. now actually. 
it's like this set in um California somewhere. I think it's kind of like a nondescript place, but uh there's Mormon missionaries who come and there's like their gay neighbor. He like gets very interested in one of the missionary men and does this whole bet with his friend, like, oh, I'll turn, I'm gonna turn um this missionary guy gay. Like I can make out with him. And like eventually though, they like form this love story and it's very beautiful. And you know, you kind of see the homophobia in the Mormon church that's happening. And like this is 2003. So, you know, if you are Mormon out there, I know there has been strides made, or at least when I like message Lisa Barlow, like I, I know she speaks out for that queer community. So I was gonna say, know. at least from Salt Lake City Housewives, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but again, I know like they're gay kind of mocks Lisa Barlow's brand of Mormonism. So I'm not a Mormon. I can't weigh in on that and I wouldn't. Um, but there were movies like that and in the early 2000s. Now I'm re-watching Queerest Folk on this podcast with guests and to see like how steamy, like even the scenes in Queerest Folk, remembering, oh, wow, like they really took a lot of chances. And we really haven't. I mean, we have, I guess, in some streaming shows, but I feel like it was just those groundbreaking moments, like even the L word, the L word and Sex in the City, even. Oh, yeah. Uh, there were just those late 1990s to early 2000s, just so many um, movies or even Degrassi, I remember with storylines. So, you know, growing up, what were some movies or TV shows um, or books, of course? that you just even remember picking it up and it really transformed you in terms of, oh, this is possible. Um, it's funny, I, I would say Sex and the City was actually one of them. Um, gosh, that came out when I was like 10, well, about yeah, 10 years old. I came out like, I think 98, um, late 90s, like you said. Yeah, that was one of the first um, TV shows I've seen on HBO or Max, I forget which network it was on, but where they actually had some queer representation, right? Um, again, Carrie had a couple of gay friends they showed, and so they kind of introduced their lifestyle. So that was kind of really cool to actually just see growing up. There was not much, um, I guess, any sort of like gay characters besides Will and Grace, obviously, that were, um, you know, just in the spotlight on, you know, television on regular, not cable network, but, you know, just off like HBO that I didn't get to see growing up much. So that was kind of a way into the, the gay community that, for me at least. Um, and then, of course, there was uh, Desperate Housewives. So there was a couple of gay characters on there. You know, there's the drama, the the suburbia type lifestyle. Yeah. And so that was another TV show, I think, that kind of drew me into like gay culture and, and things like that. That's so funny. I literally just talked about Desperate Housewives with um, Manuel Betancourt, who wrote The Male Gazed, which um, when this is out, it's now out on the podcast. So please listen to it. Um, but I am, like I'm rewatching Queer as Folk, but another series I wanna rewatch is Desperate Housewives, like in the winter. So, you know, BJ, if you wanna either, you know, recap Queer as Folk with me or Desperate Housewives, I, uh, you are invited back on here anytime. I will gladly do it. I think I've seen Desperate Housewives twice now, the whole series. So I'll definitely rewatch it again. No, no doubt about it. Yeah, like I really forget a lot of season one. And I just remember Andrew's storyline. I was so fascinated because he was like our gay character, but he also was full of so much angst and pushed every button. <laughs> so 
an interesting representation of a gay son. Uh, but yeah, that show broke a lot of boundaries, especially for being, you know, an evening program on network TV. Like this was not a paid subscription channel. Nope. So yeah, I feel like they got a. I feel for some reason they got away with. I want to say, but even like push so many buttons and boundaries in the early two thousands that now maybe because we're just so in, inundated with those they're trying to find what shocks an audience and it's just not as shocking to us anymore but right who knows i'm not you know making any of those decisions um but you know we're at the end of our time which i can't believe how fast this went uh this is such a good conversation i love like how much you've journeyed into your work so if you can leave everyone out there, of course, wanting more and wanting to, you know, be wanting to pick up your books and read more of your work, what's something you can tease or something you're currently working on um, that you can't wait to share with everyone? Oh, perfect. So um, actually, Desperate Housewives is the perfect segue. Um, my next book I'm working on, it's actually probably my longest book. Um, they always say kind of like, write what you know. And so like this book that's coming out, um, I definitely have had my dabble in HOAs, so homeowners associations and like cul-de-sacs or urban communities. You know, I've been on an HOA board before, so there's tons of drama. And it's just, if you live in like a suburban community and have an HOA, you know that there's so much drama with with these homeowners and just neighbors and, and the rules and restrictions and regulations that uh, it can easily get ugly. And, and there's such, I can't believe there's no like, like television show or movie out there about just the drama behind HOA. So I am actually writing a book about um, pretty similar, uh, just my own experience as a, as a, a, about this gay couple that moves into this uh, sort of starting to get progressive community. And there are sort of some conservative neighbors and just very opposite, like just political, religious, um, just neighbors that are out there that get into it. And of course there's so much drama with their HOA, but um yeah, I'm writing that right now. So it'll be a fun one. Oh, I can't wait. When is that coming out? Probably BJ. So I'm about, I want to say a third of the way through it. Um, but I should be finished it honestly by October, November. It'll be out probably next spring or next summer, honestly, I think. And uh, great. Okay. Title is going to be called uh, Up Your HOA Hole, actually. Play on words there. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, yeah, you're right. There is, you're really tapping into right now. So many want their small town communities or suburban communities. There's a lot who are excited when gay couples move in. They're like, oh, that means like we're going to go through this new revitalized phase. Like they're going to be bringing in the culture. But then there are always a few neighbors who can sense that change is coming and they're uh, reluctant and nervous. So That's you're exactly talking to real downtown, a real small town um suburban idea. Uh, so I can't wait for that, BJ. Um, this has been wonderful. I want everyone out there, make sure you go to, you have time until BJ's new book comes out, but you have at least like, what, 12 books? Maybe yep, more. Th 13, this will be number 14, this HOA one, yep. You got Good. it. Okay, that was close. Um, so bjironsbooks.com is bj's website and then like bj said you can follow him at bj irons on instagram anything else you want to plug before i hit the end of the recording button 
No, just just thank you, uh, Dr. Renby or Andrew, for, for having me on the show. Yeah, you I can call me Andrew. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. No, just thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I absolutely love just the, the, the platform that you provided just to, again, just just gay culture in general, whether it's through writing, through movies, through television. These are like just fun conversations to have and kind of, you know, enlighten people who typically don't have these sort of conversations that have the same thoughts and opinions as us. So love that you're doing this. Oh, thank you, BJ. Well, it's so enjoyable doing it when I get to share space with guests like you. And I'm just learning so much from all of these artists' perspectives. So, yeah, thank you. I can't wait for your new work. And I know you'll be back on the podcast. We'll be recapping something. It might be, you know, end of Queer as Folk or the beginning of Desperate Housewives. Depends on when it falls. Uh, so, Thanks so much and bye to everyone out there. And I will be back in touch with BJ soon, but get your hands on his books. Okay. <laughs> bye, BJ. Take care.